Wake the dead. Wake the dead. Wake the dead. With Sean McCann. Greetings, and welcome to Wake the Dead. Today we are pleased to have a returning guest, my brother Jim, Dr. Jim Pavarsky. Hello, Jim. Hi. Welcome. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Very good. Uh, we are here to share a, uh, we are here to um, discuss dark matter. This mm -hmm. is something I totally don't understand, and um, I would like to learn from you. Uh, you are doctor of particle physics and you mm -hmm. are here graciously to uh, share some information with us. So welcome. Thank you. Well, thanks. Thanks. Sure. Um, so dark matter, um, um, it's kind of a question, uh, how to, where to start because um, most people have heard something about it and um, and a discussion like this just sort of try to funnel in from all the different kind of areas where um, you know the different contexts people might have heard about it um, but may maybe where I could start is to say that uh, that this is you know a real active area of uh, scientific research um, the word has evolved it used to mean a different thing and that that really? usually leads to some confusion hmm. um, the word started in astronomy, and it started to try to explain astronomical observations. And the dark in dark matter was merely meaning not shining, like not a star. Okay. So, so it's, uh, it's matter that isn't emitting any photons, basically. Right. That's how, the, how it started. Right. Um, and so here, if you hear uh, like an astronomer talking about dark matter in the 90s, they'll be trying to dispel this notion that there's something mysterious about it. They say, uh, planets are dark matter, asteroids are dark, we are dark matter. Right. Um, but that's not the way the word is used today because of uh, some, some scientific developments, uh, okay. some things we've learned. Uh, and I think that this came up, you know, the idea to talk about dark matter came up when we were talking about um, how we know things scientifically. Right. Yes. Um, and this one has a really nice story to tell because uh, the area where uh, physicists are focusing on to try to understand dark matter might seem like a very narrow, limited area, especially when you're considering originally the idea was, well, just about anything that isn't a star is dark. Um, uh, so how did we get to this point? There was actually a um, scientific de detective story that got here. Uh, and if I can start sharing now? Is yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you have to click it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, just switching All right. around. All right, here we are. Uh, yeah, so I gave a talk um, uh, some years ago, actually, on this, although the situation hasn't changed, and that's kind of how it is in science. This is actually like a 10-year-old talk, uh, but the situation hasn't really changed since then. Good. Um, uh, when I say, you know, things were different in the 90s. Yeah, things were different 30 years ago, but they're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
that's the pace at which science goes. Um, <coughs> but I made this, uh, made this to try to show that uh, nowadays when we're talking about dark matter, it's more often particle physicists talking about dark matter than, than astronomers. And the particle physicists are, are generally talking about some kind of new particle unknown to particle physics. Uh, and why would you focus on that when there are other possibilities? Uh, it's because they've actually been ruled out. Uh, there's kind of this flow chart of, uh, from the first observation, the, uh, the astronomical observations of uh, uh, what's happening with galaxies, um, ruled out some of the possibilities all the way down this flow chart until now here we are, um, uh, really quite confident that there are particles we don't know what, you know, some new particle. Uh, right, something that you haven't discovered yet in your right. experiments. Right, and so naturally looking for it. Right, so how did, um, how did you start, how did you, uh, galaxies spinning too fast uh, a lot of the listeners aren't be are going to be able to see this, so we're gonna. I'm just gonna like kind of uh, talk it out a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. So at the top of this diagram here, galaxies spinning too fast, and then uh, it's either something's wrong with gravity, or there's more matter that we can uh, than we can see, mm -hmm. and you ruled out there's something wrong with gravity. How did that work? Okay, how maybe um, maybe I should go back in this talk to uh, uh, how this started. Please, yeah. Yeah, this is where this is where I'll start. All right. The the biggest picture is that matter as we know it um, is a minority in the universe. Right. Uh, uh, you might have seen something like this, sort of this, these pie charts, uh, because as of since the early two thousands. Um, this is uh, this is what astronomers, cosmologists, particle physicists have known about the universe. Uh, the fact that the majority of it is something that was called dark energy, and here the word dark is, is used to, to mean mysterious. Right, uh, the unknown, actually, what's, yeah. what's occulted to our understanding. Right. Yeah, that is uh, much more weird than dark matter. Uh, so we could maybe talk about that at the end, but uh, okay, that's great. Now I'll just narrow in on among the the things that could be even called matter. Um, uh, the large majority of it is something we don't know what it is. We don't know what kind of particle it is. And then uh, the largest fraction after that is interstellar gas, some mm -hmm. force of the universe. Then there's stars, which is half a percent neutrinos, which is another half a percent, and then like heavy elements like us, oh, that's right. down around like um, three hundredths of a percent. Interesting. Um, so that's that's kind of where we are. Right. Uh, so that's why the vastness, that's why space is such empty space, right? Because there's so few actual heavy elements yeah. of matter right. floating right. around. Right. You think about the, the environment that we live in on the earth is, is an extreme environment. It's extremely dense. Most of the universe isn't anywhere near as dense as this. Right, right. And that's because of the gravity. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's uh, the, the organizational force of the universe, I guess, is gravity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, any matter will attract any other matter. And when you let that go for a while, you know, some of it gets very scrunched up. Right, 
Right. We would call the inside of a star an extreme environment. Well, actually, the surface of a planet is pretty extreme, too. Right. With the, the force of the, uh, you know, the um, atmosphere pushing down and, you know, the closer you get towards the center of the Earth, it's more and more extreme. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 Okay. So here, um, the, the PDFs that I have for this talk is uh, divided into dark matter and dark energy, but we'll, we'll just start with the dark matter because that's what we had planned. All right. Thank you. Um, and uh, the pieces that go into this, like how, how do we know some of these things? Some of these are, are pieces that are uh, like techniques, you know, like this one weird trick uh, that was discovered in the 19th century. Uh, and uh, and the, these are our handles on, on the universe so that we know more than just those lights in the sky. Right. Um, we've got uh, a few different things that we can do. One is that, well, we can just look from telescopes uh, and see stars. And from, the, uh, from looking at stars in the sky, we can be very precise about the angle on the sky. But it's really hard to tell uh, the distance for Earth, from Earth. These right. purple bands are supposed to be uncertainty. Like we can be very certain about two of these three dimensions, but the third dimension is pretty far. It's pretty hard. hard. Right. You can uh, compare them to each other, but you can't tell the distance between us and it. Right. If yeah. there's two stars, you can kind of make mathematical equation. But if there's, well, I guess that maybe not even that, but you just can't, you, you can't uh, tell how far it is just by looking at it. You have right. to do right. other. Right. Okay. Right. Because a small close star could be a, a far big star. Right. Right. Yeah. It, optically, it looks the same. Right. Okay. Right. But then there's another technique that we can use to uh, tell the motion toward or, or away from us. So along that direction, that line of sight, uh, uh, the speed is pretty easy to tell. Because of the color shift, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. So when something is moving towards us, it's blue. When it's moving away from us, it's red because the frequency of blue light is faster than red. And we mm -hmm. can tell that with a prism. And uh, that's just the nature of light. And uh, because light is three colors, the green stays with the, the object. The blue goes in front uh, because the movement of that object uh, is so fast, but the blue of its shining of the protons or the, I mean, the, the uh, uh, part of the photons shooting out of it is at another, is at a speed itself propelling from the object. So that makes it go even faster. And the blue light is at the, is at the leading edge because the blue light is fastest. Right? Mm -hmm. And the red light uh, is, uh, is the slowest. And that's why we see red light when some, when an object is moving away. And yes. uh, yep. like this, this diagram here, you can, uh, it's, it's very good uh, description because we can hear with our, the sound makes the same uh, effect because when an, an object is moving, uh, the, it's pushing the sound forward. And when it's moving away from us, uh, it's a lower pitch because the sound is following the object instead of being pushed out. So it's at a slower speed. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yep. That's it. It's just this geometric effect, the waves getting scrunched together or not. You, you explained it perfectly. Awesome. Thank you.
So we've got this effect. There's still this amb potential ambiguity. You know, if we see some star that looks kind of blue, we don't know if it just is a blue star. Oh, if it's shining more blue. Okay, okay. Because right. it, just, it could be made of blue stuff. Right. Our sun is white because we have grown underneath it and our eyes have developed so that uh, we uh, accept the same amount of red and blue and green into our eyes from this object because that's how we've evolved as humans. Right. But if right. there's, there right. might be another uh, star shining a different color and because mm -hmm. it has a uh, higher frequency uh, that it's pushing out. With, with our star, it seems like it's all equal, red and green and blue, but that's just mm -hmm. because of the way that we've developed our eyes to perceive it. Mm -hmm. yep. Right. Yeah, and it also has to do with the atmosphere. The, uh, yes. the sun, yes. sunlight has this broad spectrum that sort of falls off at high energies. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of low energy light that doesn't get through the atmosphere. Right. And so there's a band in between. And you're absolutely right. The, uh, our eyes have developed to that band. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And like, and, you know, if we could get past the atmosphere, we would see the sun as white because the water droplets in the atmosphere mm -hmm. capture the blue, the blue light is so uh, high frequency and erratic, it gets stuck bouncing between the droplets of water in the atmosphere. So mm -hmm. that's why the sun, when we're on the ground, it appears yellow because all the blue light was trapped in the atmosphere and it, it, it spread out uh, across yes. the entire sky. Right? Yes, yes. Although water absorbs more infrared, but mm -hmm. yeah, then we don't see that. So yes. Right. <laughs> right. Um, right, so how do we know the actual color of the star? Uh, there is a way to know this, which is that uh, each of the elements has very specific lines. So, okay. um, so this is how we can dis this is how we know the elemental structure of the sun because we can the well, when, any star. Yeah, interesting. So when these these elements are burned off, they make this color. Is that what? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so each one of the um, each one of the ninety two elements has a characteristic fingerprint, very specific lines. Um, the reason for that has to do with quantum mechanics. Um, it's just very constrained in how the the quantum mechanical waves can fit into the atom. Um, but uh, the result of that is that uh, actually not just for any atom but for any molecule, uh, there are uh, it has a very characteristic spectrum. Right. And that's how, um, if, if you want to understand the uh, structure of an object, you put it into a machine that burns it off, and then mm -hmm. it captures the light from that burning to, to understand what the uh, molecular elements of that thing was, right? Right. We, we have that today. We do that in science all the time. Right, right, yeah. Um, you know, even like making blue flames and such, it's all a matter of what chemical... Uh, mm -hmm. Right. Um, and this is the sun right here. Oh. So the sun uh, is, um, if it, So that's it, all the different elements combined to make it's those? All, yeah, all the different elements in the sun, which is oh. mostly hydrogen and helium, but right. um, even trace amounts of these, uh, these different chemicals will leave... Uh, 
because the lines are so sharp. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very characteristic. Interesting. So it's like a fingerprint. Yeah. It can, uh, this, um, no two sons are probably, probably no two sons are the same because they have different elements constructing their, uh, right. you know, their, their mass. Right. 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 But, um, because, uh, because all the stars are made of normal matter, <laughs> yes. uh, they, uh, which at first was, you know, either an assumption or, or a guess. Um, but then when you start doing this and you see the lines in them, the lines, the spacings between the lines are, are characteristic enough that it's very clear that, uh, oh yeah, this particular star is made of different elements than our sun, right? but it's made of elements. It's made of ordinary matter. Right. You can, at least you can tell that as a fact. It is right. regular matter that, um, like in the other pie chart that we were seeing, it's part of the three hundredths of percent of what is out there. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, so now that we have, now that we've got, you know, such a lock on, uh, these particular lines, these particular lines happen at exact frequencies. So then if a star is moving toward or away from us, these lines will move mm. and they all move together because it's not like it's the same they, amount of shift. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's not like a star has some of its, you know, uh, the helium like, goes faster than the rest of it. Like, yeah, no. Right. <laughs> the whole star moves together. Right. Yeah. The light from it all shines in the same rate. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. So that's that's the end of this. This is a uh, this is that one tool that we can tell uh, because of these things we can tell very precisely uh, how quickly a star is coming toward us or away from us. And we can tell the elements uh, comprising that star yep right very and, interesting how we can get the, all this information yes. from light it's just yes. wow it's amazing yes and the dust in between <laughs> yeah wow um now there's another tool in the toolbox uh, we can also measure mass between ourselves and a star between um, so this between. is the um if you uh if you're a fan of tesla you might say this the ether to measure the ether in between <laughs> or is it the atmosphere that we're looking for, through or uh what do you is it the space dust what do you what are, what would be in between will it be anything that has mass okay um, so space dust or whatnot could be dust could be planets atmosphere. Could, be stars, could be galaxies depending on the scale at which you're looking i see um, okay uh, and this is this is due to relativity. Um, it's because uh, a a ray of light traveling through a vacuum, if there's some massive object, you know, if the if the ray of light is going near a massive object, it bends toward that object. Because of the gravity. Yeah. Right. Right. The object changes the shape of space time, adds curvature to the space time, and the light follows what would be a straight line along that curved space. Interesting. Um, and that um, uh, that sounds like, that may sound like an extreme claim, but that is, that uh, has had a lot of evidence. That's been a lot of uh, uh, right. development since Einstein uh, first right. uh, proposed the idea. And, and here's an example of it. 
Um, here there's a, uh, which is which? Yeah, that yellow thing in the middle is the something. That's a massive thing. I think it's probably a globular cluster of a bunch uh, of these. Or, and or that a, ring is the light trying to get around it. Yeah, there was something. There aren't so very many of these so-called Einstein rings. <laughs> um, but when you have two things that are just lined up perfectly, the one behind it, uh, you can see a whole ring around it because the light from that, uh, say, galaxy. Source, yeah. Yeah, it goes around on both sides. Right. Just like the shift, just like the corona around a uh, solar eclipse, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right. Except that it's bending light. Right, yeah. yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I know all about bending light because uh, working in a dark room or black room, like you could have a door that has a, a, an edge and then the door goes right up to the edge and somehow the light gets through it. Like, I mean, yes. light bends. Yeah, yeah. So yes. um, you got to use, you know, masking tape or, you know, gaffer's tape. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm familiar with this, this effect. Light, light isn't, it doesn't just, go straight and that's it like um mm -hmm. it does bend and uh this is interesting yeah. here what you're talking yeah they're different yeah different mechanisms causing it to bend and in this case it's just mass uh and uh and it works actually quite like a lens so it's it's called um gravitational lensing interesting um and there's actually a lot of partial rings because uh because they don't always line up perfectly mm-hmm because of the different shape of the mass object in the middle, right? Because it has to bounce and get around the weird shape of whatever is in between. Yeah. And also right. if, if this thing were not perfectly aligned, if this were a little bit to the, a little bit below, there'd mm -hmm. be more light on this side than on that side. Right. And so it might, you know, might make it around on one side, not the other. Interesting. But, uh, yeah. There's all these, you know, these things going on <laughs> in right. the sky. Right. The um, properties of light are so uh, important for understanding our world uh, to be able to, um, you know, observe our world. Light is the biggest, it's the, the most effective tool for understanding. And uh, this is great that you can mm -hmm. teach us this stuff because a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of listeners really don't think about this stuff very often. And um, yeah. this is great. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the astronomer's toolbox. These are the things that have been accumulated over literally centuries because the previous tool that was a 19th century thing and this uh, lensing is uh, Einstein, which is early 20th century. Right. Uh, but once these uh, physical um, effects have been established, uh, they can then be used as tools for the next, the next thing to discover. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's another one. Didn't wow. Know, I have another. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So for the listeners, it looks like uh looks like a, a, a ring with three jewels on it. It's uh it's interesting. It's very yeah. interesting. If Four the listeners please people need yeah, there's a fourth one. Yeah. People if um if you're interested, check out my Odyssey page. It will this will be posted there too, and you can see all the uh slides that we're talking mm -hmm. about here. It's uh, it would it would help a lot. Yep. And the thing that I, I remember about this picture is there's only one object behind it. All four of those are the same star or That's galaxy, I suppose. Right. The same source of light. <clears throat> mm -hmm. 
And so that must be the sh the shape of the object yeah. that is refracted that is uh, in the way is what's causing that. That's yeah, it. right. It's it the thing in the way is bumpy. And right. So, so the light gathers up in those spots because of the way that it's traveling around it. Right. That's interesting. Right. Uh, this is a uh, you. These these simulations have become more popular recently uh, with mm -hmm. the black hole imaging. Black hole imaging is nowhere near this precision yet. So this is a simulation. Right. But actually, at the time that I made this talk, uh, no black holes had ever been seen. Um, so wow. uh, black holes uh, uh, bend it a lot. And so like if you have like a black hole passing in front of a galaxy, uh, this is the kind of stuff that it does. Here's the I galaxy see. on one side. Here you're seeing it bent around the other side. Here it's bending all the way around. Right. And uh, um, these actually have become wallpapers now, this middle one. Um, yeah, I'm actually I'm familiar with that picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so for the listeners, this is a progression of of nine images, and it just shows uh, what the line of a galaxy would look like if it's passing behind a black hole, and it's the disruption that the black hole would would create on the light that's arriving to our eyes. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, the black hole's gravity is so intense that's why it makes such a uh, pronounced effect on the the light coming from that galaxy behind it mm -hmm. yeah yeah so this is an extreme form of uh, gravitational lensing mm. okay now we got the tools now we can talk right. about more sweet thank you all right so the the discovery this was the 1970s um vera rubin um uh, she discovered that uh, when looking at galaxies, uh, when she did very precise um, spectroscopy on the two edges of the galaxy, uh, she saw what at first you'd, uh, you'd expect, that if, if a galaxy is at a flat disk, one side of it will be blue and the other side will be red because the disk is spinning. Right. You know, looking at a record player on, on yeah. it. Yeah, so this mm -hmm. is uh, evidence of spinning of galaxies so this mm -hmm. is how we've discovered the galaxies are spinning right right and so that was the that was the purpose of the experiment mm -hmm. um but then the surprising outcome was that they were spinning too fast <laughs> so what makes it too fast what would be too mm -hmm. fast for what too fast for uh the matter that seems to be in it so um, the spinning would tear it apart yeah. So because, okay. So yeah, if it was made only of stars, uh, so there must be more gravity. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So if um, you look at a galaxy, you see a bunch of stars in it, and if you assume that the stars in the galaxy are all the mass of that galaxy, then the rate at which it's spinning, there wouldn't be enough gravity to hold it together. It's spinning so fast that you know centrifugal force would just fly apart. Interesting. Even in a vacuum, or maybe the um... Uh, yeah, I guess. So from your measurements, the way that gravity relates to mass, uh, you you would assume that it would not have enough force to keep it together, right? Yeah. So there is this other force, maybe, or this other phenomenon, maybe gravity is more, is uh, works differently there. I mean, mm -hmm. if you, was that part of it too? 
That was that was one of the boxes. Yes, right. Um, and uh, that was taken that was taken seriously in the early two thousands. I would say. Oh, of course, there's all, there's still maybe gravity changes in different spots. Yeah. Okay, and that was ruled out when uh, recently. Um, around two thousand six. Okay. Um, and ruled out some some scientists disagree, but uh, they're a minority. Right, right. That's started. how all science works, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Um, it's actually the, the 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 precise thing. If if you can see the, I wonder if I can maybe make things easier by zooming in on them like that. Yeah, that works. Yeah, in the uh, in the plot, um, this uh, the vertical axis is rotational velocity, how fast it's spinning, mm -hmm. versus how far you are from the center. And if you just take all the stars, at first it looks right. The calculated is the red line. You expect uh, them not to be going so fast in the middle. Then as you're getting further out, you expect them to be uh, spinning faster. And then because there's fewer stars on the outside, you expect it to go back down. I mean, you assume that there's less mass out there. They have to be going slower or else they'll just fly out. Um, but what was observed is that the stars in the galaxy, no matter how far out, even farther out than, it, than the galaxy even appears to be, that there's, uh, there's a huge amount of mass out there, uh, that they're spinning just as fast out there. So this, so did you, were, was there the assumption that there is mass that's just not shining that we can't see? That's what. Yeah, that's one of them, right? That's where we go. Okay. So what could it be? Galaxy spinning too fast. Something's wrong with gravity, or there's matter that we can't see. Right. And yeah, you have to take both of those possibilities seriously. Right. And uh, how did they rule out that gravity is the same, or how did they discover gravity is the same everywhere? Yeah. So, um, so that would be, so actually both of these, um, of these two possibilities, this is the more radical one, assuming that yeah. there's something wrong with gravity. I mean, uh, it would be, I mean, because we're all in the same space, why would it act differently in a different space. Right. Right. Yeah, the thought was, um, the, this, these are called MOND, uh, modified M-O-N-D. M-O-N-D hmm. okay. stands for something modified gravity. Uh, okay. The idea is that uh, gravity works uh, as we know it normally at small scales, but then as you go uh, to a very large scale, it falls off less quickly than, than you'd think it than, than Newton says it would, right? Um, so this was um, was and for some people still is uh, an explanation, but here's what happened in 2006 that uh, that clinched it for most astronomers and physicists. Um, this is uh, there aren't very many um, clusters like this, but this is a cluster of gas uh, and. Um, I think there's two tiny uh, uh, galaxies in the middle, you know, galaxies surrounded by gas. And these, is that what the blue lights are? Is, are the galaxies? Because uh, there's like uh, no, kind of no, two they're... blue areas, and then yeah. like the center has a red. Um, it's a it's a photograph. It's a it's a for the listeners. This is a photograph of a cluster of stars. Um, so go ahead, Jim. Sorry. Sure. Uh, this is. Um, the uh, the points that you see are the stars and the galaxies are somewhere in the middle of this. Um, 
Yeah, I think that the the colors are the gas and the no, uh, the colors are uh, gravit are colors of the mass actually. I see. The, so the, colors, the yeah. more mass is the red, and the blue is the less mass. Um, right. I believe it's the other way around, but I have a contour plot. Okay, that's <laughs> that good. Helps. So yeah, the uh, so the blue. Okay. Anyway, yeah. let's just continue with what you got yeah. there. I don't mean to confuse everything. A contour plot on top. So what, what happened is that these two galaxies um, collided. They, they're passing through each other. Hmm. The stars mostly miss each other. The gas um, absolutely hits its, its each other. Right. And now, actually, now that I'm seeing the contour plot, I can get my story straight. Okay. Uh, uh, the... Hard to scroll when you have it zoomed in. Um, the the I think the contour plot really makes it, the the other picture is the one that's shown more often, but the contour plot makes it a lot more clear. The colored areas are where the gas has gone. Okay. And when when the gas of two uh, galaxies pass through each other, there's viscosity in the gas. Right. Know, so there uh, makes friction. Is yeah, there's friction. And because so, they're colliding, right? Yeah, it can't just go. They these gas clouds can't go through each other as though they weren't there. You know, as like ghosts. Obviously, like because that. they have mass, right? Yeah. It's widely spaced, but there is matter. There is particles there. Oh, more than that, um, because they have friction, because they have, because uh, they're made of chemical elements that uh, chemically attract each other. Uh, you know, viscosity, right. really. Right. You know. Fluids. Like, like uh, the way, I mean, it, the gravity still affects even the smallest particles and they're attracting each other as they pass through. Mm -hmm. right. right. But then the contour, uh, this is the, the clincher that made this bullet cluster uh, picture um, so decisive. Um, this is a gravitational map of the same thing. So it was using the gravitational technique uh, to tell where all the mass is. And the point is, that the mass is not where the gas is. Right. Right. So when the when the two galaxies uh, pass through each other, the gas slowed down because of viscosity. But most of the mass kept going. Interesting. So this is like the uh, pictures of the spinning galaxies, where where you're where you're seeing. Um, um, you're seeing the speed of various things. Right. Um, but in this one, unlike a normal galaxy, it has separated where the visible matter is and where the mass is. And it's separated because they collided. I see. So um, the um, this is after the collision and they're moving apart at this point? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the, I'm going to spill the... the, the, the um, spoilers. Okay. Uh, is that the, the, the dark matter did not interact with each other, it just passed through like a ghost. Interesting. And it has mass and it just, it, uh, it does not have viscosity. Okay. Um, but the gas did. Interesting. Uh, the reason that, um, that uh, a lot of astronomers and physicists take this as uh, ruling out the idea of modified gravity is that. Uh, if you modify gravity and you say that, you know, gravity at very far distances works differently, okay. But it would still be centered on where 
the mass is. Right. Right. Yeah. It wouldn't be in relation to us looking at it. It would be in relation to the, the center of the mass out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Like if you took if you took a person and, you know, the person's body has normal matter in it and has mass in it. Uh, and uh, you could imagine um, differences in the way that that person is gravitating very distant objects. And that would mean by modifying the theory of gravity. But by modifying a theory of gravity, you can't really imagine most of the mass standing next to the person, you know? Yeah. That would yeah, be right. too weird for, right. a, for a modified gravity theory. Um, yeah. Um, so that was, so this but, is- I mean, that would, essentially, you would be able to separate the gravity from the mass of a part. That's, that sounds crazy, right? Yeah, right, <laughs> right. And here- we have an example of something where most of the gravitating mass is in a different place from the visible matter. Right. And that's what makes people think there's, there's invisible matter. Interesting. Um, and it wasn't so, just one. So, okay. So this, um, this leads you to believe that there is some other matter that is able to pass through with no viscosity mm -hmm. without having... So does that mean that it doesn't have the gravitational pull of a particle? It has the gravitational pull of a particle, which okay. is what makes dark matter kind of normal compared to dark energy. Uh, dark matter gravitates like ordinary matter. It just doesn't... Um, uh, it's not visible. It's not sticky. It doesn't have viscosity. Right. It's very invisible. We can't measure it really anyway. Other than, <laughs> other than other what? Than, other than mass. Right. Okay. Right. Interesting. Um, Do you think it's like a precursor to mass? Is it like mass that's becoming uh, a particle? Do you think it's like part of like a like a this part of the stage of how matter is coalesced? I know most dark matter theories don't go that way, but it's entirely within the realm of, <laughs> right? You know, uh, because I, I mean, I would think that like, <laughs> like the world isn't done. Be I mean, the world, but the universe isn't just done. You know, it's still creating and shifting and growing. You know, mm -hmm. so there must be. So I mean, like we see galaxies die and are born, and you know, so I assume that parts out there are still new and parts are old maybe I, I don't know but i would assume that the way the time works it's not just all done and like okay there it is we can look at it like there is progression happening uh yeah yeah most most theories of dark matter and mm -hmm. here we get into the theoretical realm mm -hmm. uh suppose that um that uh all the different components, all the different types of matter were all um, together in the same sort of thing very in the very, very early universe. And right. I'm avoiding the word Big Bang because... <laughs> right, right. We already <laughs> talked about that in our other yeah. shows. Yeah. Uh, the very, very early universe. Uh, and then it separated out. It froze out. Uh, but there are other theories in which uh, it works differently from that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, a different kind of matter, whether it's turning into normal matter or normal matter is turning into it. Right. Um, all of that is, all that's open. Interesting. You know, uh, as long as we don't, you know, have anything that, that clinches what it is. Right. There's no evidence really. So. 
Yeah. That's great. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so this, yeah. so it, there's obviously nothing wrong with gravity, but uh, there might be more to it that, than we can see. Yeah. Right? More matter than we can see, which, right. you know, that's pretty conventional. I mean, um, this is where we were. Yeah. Well, that's actually, that's what most astronomers were assuming at first, mm. you know, like in the, in the nineties when there's, you know, trying to emphasize, look, it's not mysterious. We're dark matter. Well, in, in the sense that, you know, right. You it's just not shining photons. Right. 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 But then the, the word shifted because yeah. there's another thing that we're trying to understand. And so this word applies better to that. Thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, so we still haven't gotten there yet. We can still in this flow chart, we can still assume things are pretty conventional. Uh, so from this, there's more matter that we can see two possibilities. One is that they are, some new kind of particle, some weakly interactive massive particles. These were called WIMPs. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's, um, that was kind of radical at the time, and this is actually the direction where most physicists are now. And the other possibility is massive compact halo objects, machos. And yes, surely the words were chosen so that they would be WIMPs and machos. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Clearly, you. that's what happened. Right. Uh, so massive compact halo object, that means planet. Okay. Or anything small and not shining. Actually, microscopic black, no, not microscopic. Um, small black holes, non-astrophysical black holes. Black holes left over from the uh, the Big Bang would be, yeah, I used it. Uh, really universe. Uh, uh, it's it's possible. You know, there wasn't there weren't any kind of constraints on uh, just how many dark objects there were out there. So like right. conventional, like astrophysical objects. Right. So now we're going to rule out this one. Uh, and that was done actually in the 90s. Um, so uh, different types of machos that you could have, uh, like free floating planets or brown dwarfs like Jupiter. Mm -hmm. um, old white dwarfs that stopped glowing. So used to be a star. Neutron stars are not very bright. Black holes are not bright at all. Right. Um, and so these were done with microlensing. So again, we're using gravitational lensing mm -hmm. as, the, as the tool. And, uh, but these are wide surveys. So you look at a whole lot of stars and you just see if any of them blink or wiggle or- Or you know, bend or, yeah, yeah. 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 The light from from some sort of, yeah, something just passing in front of it. Right. And when all of those studies were done, uh, here's what you get for, I will zoom into this plot. Um, the percent of the, of the galaxy halo due to machos could end be anywhere from 0% to 100%. It's not quite 100% because there's stars. So <laughs> uh, it could be up in the 90s, suppose. Mm -hmm. um, and the average mass of each of those machos is it a bunch of, so here would be a bunch of little ones, and here would be a few big ones. And this is the probability distribution. They did find machos. They just didn't find enough. So hmm. the probability distribution, you know, the most probable point, the purple in this, uh, uh, after taking all of this data, is that maybe about 20% of a galaxy halo is due to machos. Uh, and the average mass is about a little bit less than the sun. So those are kind of like Jupiter's, you know, brown dwarfs. Okay. Um, does, so, yeah. that, 
does that uh so that doesn't calculate a, uh, an excuse for what we were seeing before right okay right. not the majority of it right but it's interesting you know if this had if they didn't found any, anything at all that would be a little bit suspect because there ought to be some things floating around in between yeah yeah that we can't see because it's not shining like the old right. term of dark matter right 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 so that gets ruled out and okay. now we're into this interesting realm of oh there's some new particle oh sorry i haven't i am not even there yet not necessarily new because there is an old particle that fits the bill okay um neutrinos are known to exist and as of uh, also around uh, you know, 1998, 99, I remember in college when this came out, uh, uh, neutrinos are known to have mass. It's a very small mass, but they do have mass. And so maybe if you have enough neutrinos, um, then they could be the dark matter. Okay. Or it's some new particle, just completely unknown to, to particle physics. So that's where they were then. Now we look at neutrinos. Okay. Um, so some things about neutrinos. They're oddballs of particle physics. Um, they are nearly massless, but not exactly massless. They have way smaller mass than all the other kinds of particles. Uh, they come in flavors. They, they actually quantum mechanically oscillate with each other. Um, uh, yeah, there's, and there's a lot of them out in the, there's a lot of neutrinos that we can't see out in um, the universe. Uh, and there are huge projects like um, the ice cube neutrino telescope in Antarctica to try to measure some of these things um, because they're in order to, since neutrinos interact so weakly, you need an enormous amount of mass in order to hope that one of them maybe will, will interact with it. Like um, in order to guarantee that a neutrino will interact in the solar system, you'd have to fill the entire solar system all the way out to the orbit of Pluto with lead, uh, which, you know, Okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, that's interesting. So how do we how do we uh, gather those? How do we uh, interact with those things? Yeah, so we make these very large, massive experiments. In fact, some of them are here. You know, some of them behind me. <laughs> right. Uh, you're at Fermilab, by the way. Right. 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 Uh, maybe now's the time to to. Yeah. Let, let people see. Okay. Whatever. Sure. All right. Yeah. I'll do a quick go. stop just because it's coming up now. I. Um, Fortunate enough to be uh, uh, talking here today from Fermilab. I'm in for a visit. If you want to make that big, there. Yep. That's correct. Uh, this is the the start of the accelerator complex. I think. Yep. Right there is the accelerator control room, hmm. and then there are various uh, accelerators behind it. It's a complex with not just one ring, but a bunch of little ones. And there's a lot of experiments measuring uh, uh, very precise properties of muons and things. Um, the, uh, like one of the things that we do here is, uh, create neutrinos and send them to South Dakota <laughs> here, by the way, here is, uh, is Chicago. Uh, and so we send them through the earth to South Dakota because on those distance scales, they quantum mechanically oscillate and we're studying those properties. Wow. So you send them through the earth. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They're the only particles that can go right through the whole earth. That's interesting. So, so like this, this neutrino telescope, uh, ice cube in Antarctica, mm -hmm. it's measuring all the North hemisphere neutrinos. Okay. Because it's because using it, the earth. It's okay. 
So as it's a, as using the earth to, okay. Yeah. Using the shield, earth as a shield against all backgrounds, all things that aren't neutrinos. I see, to filter the neutrinos so that they can measure it. That's, that's great. <laughs> we lost the share here. Okay, here we go. I, I pulled it back. Yep. Okay, good. Thank you. So there are these weird particles, particles and we do know them, and, and they are, um, they are the, the uh, cutting edge of research in particle physics. Um, uh, you know, finding out what exactly the mass is even is still not totally known. Um, so uh, it seems like a, you know, we've got something a little bit mysterious. It seems like a good mystery to hang it, you know, hang it on. Um, and there's only one problem with it. Um, the neutrinos, uh, they're known to have mass and they're known to have uh, a very small mass. It's less than such and such. It's less than some very small number. Um, and so if the majority of the missing mass in the universe were neutrinos, uh, because they're so lightweight, they are traveling very fast, right? Their, their energy is a lot larger than their mass. So they are traveling almost always relativistically. It would be really hard to make a non-relativistic neutrino, you know? Um, so uh, why is that, um, why is, how does that get ruled out? Um, so you can also do simulations of how structure uh, developed. So the, um, and the very early universe we can see with the uh, cosmic microwave background that the universe was very smooth and uniform and the clumps evaluate, you know, clumps being stars, galaxies, and- The matter. Clusters. Yeah. yeah, the clumping. The clumping happened later due to gravity. And that only makes sense like when you've got you know, a little bit of a cloud, it starts gravitating itself more and then it becomes a tighter cloud and it gravitates itself some more and it, then it becomes some very compact objects. So um, the universe clumps with time. Right. And if most of the mass in the universe was traveling at relativistic speeds, it wouldn't be able to clump. Hmm. Because the, the energy is too much. Yeah. It would, it would keep passing. It just wouldn't hit each other and stick because they're so that so that yeah. would make sense for the no viscosity of those galaxies that are passing right. because it's not clumping right right like the no viscosity part as far as we you know just just from knowing that that's no viscosity you could say oh yeah that's neutrinos you know neutrinos have no viscosity they'll go right through each other and not even right that's why even, you yeah. assumed neutrinos earlier right right okay. but the argument against the neutrinos being the dark matter is that um, if you've got like a cloud of gas that's self-gravitating, but most of the mass in that cloud is also traveling at relativistic speeds, it will go away right. before Just the cloud gets a chance to. So to, it wouldn't. So that would make it so that it, the neutrinos escape, and then only the the other uh, heavy matter um, uh, would be clumping, right? Well, the heavy matter wouldn't. <laughs> Uh, the heavy matter wouldn't clump because it doesn't have enough mass to. Oh, I see. Because most of the mass is in, you know, under the this theoretical yeah, situation, right. most of the matter would be in neutrinos. And because they can't slow down, you know, uh, right. the universe never settles into clumps known as 
galaxies and stars and us. So that can't be true because we're here. Yeah, right, right. right. We can also, and we can do precise measurements of the clumping. This uh, uh, picture down, the first two pictures are simulations of with neutrinos as the dark matter and with slower dark matter. And with slower dark matter, you get tighter clumps. Mm -hmm. And what the universe actually looks like is it's full of tight clumps. Right. Well, that's at least what we can see and when we're looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so we rule out the neutrinos. Okay. And we're left with a new particle unknown to particle physics. That's where that catches you up to the present day. Okay. So that's where every, all the scientists are thinking now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And there's a number of different avenues uh, to, to try to understand that. Um, uh, at, at, uh, the most direct is uh, people make very large, um, I wonder if I have more. Oh yeah, I can go on, yeah. Um, people have very large uh, tanks of, uh, of matter and they are just hoping that some of these wimps will interact with one of them and uh, uh, make some observable signal that's the way that neutrinos were discovered. Right. Um, except it's much harder because these things are uh, not produce. We can produce neutrinos in a lab. These things, we don't know what they are, so we don't know how to make them. Obviously. So you wouldn't even know what the properties are if you did visibly see it. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Well, we, we can narrow it down to a couple, and I guess that's what this is here. Okay. Um, we know about different forces. Uh, we know about gravity, electromagnetic, the weak force, and the strong force. Right. There could be others, um, right. but these are the ones that we know about. And what we can rule out right away with, uh, with dark matter is the electromagnetic, because this is, what, this is how most chemistry happens. Um, yeah. It's how viscosity happens, uh, how, you know, how my hands aren't going through each other. It's because uh, they're uh, electro... Um, electrostatically repelling the, you know, the electrons and the protons are charged and they don't want to go through each other. Um, the nuclear strong force, the force that holds uh, nuclei together, um, it would be the same thing, uh, but on a higher scale. Uh, there is a nuclear weak force, which is the, um, uh, that's, I would say, the least understood at this point. Uh, and there's gravity, okay, which is even less understood in some senses. Uh, it's understood in the macroscopic sense. It's not understood in the quantum mechanical sense. Yeah, right. Um, so, uh, so after ruling out electromagnetic and strong, uh, gravity and the weak are the ones that are left. Uh, gravity, for sure, um, dark matter interacts with gravity because that's how it was discovered. Right whether it interacts with the weak force, is a hope. <laughs> because then that's another way that you can observe it, right? Right. That's how, what all these uh, experiments are based on, on I the see. idea that there'll be some, some weak interaction uh, between the uh, dark matter particles and um, you know, these very large vats of fluid. Um, right. and, uh, and we are getting toward Actually, those experiments are getting toward their limits. Uh, they're getting... And they uh, found nothing yet. Nothing yet, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, they're getting so sensitive now that um, they're getting close to the point where they will be able to see um, the background neutrinos in the universe. Just, wow. just you know, the passing through, um, which will be interesting, and then they will, you know, study and measure that. But then they, you know, then that becomes an irreducible background. Uh, right. The uh, signal from uh, um, uh, dark matter is weaker than that. Right. Uh, there are wild other theories. There's um, axions which were invented to, you know, hypothetical particles invented to solve some other problem. Maybe that's the, the, the dark matter. There's really heavy uh, particles uh, called a wimpzilla. Um, <laughs> anything right. and everything. You know, this is a this is a theorist's playground. All of the uh, the different theoretical ideas about, um, you know, the the what particle physics, what kinds of particles exist, what kinds of forces exist uh, beyond the ones that we know about. Um, uh, they're all throwing out different ideas about what the dark matter could be. And meanwhile, we keep trying to measure, um, right. keep searching. Right. Yeah. That's the nature of, of your business, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, so you're all, so particle physics is still searching for this. And uh, have have you narrowed down any of these? Uh, I mean, in general, or are they all still valid theories? A lot of the a uh, whole lot of theories space has been uh, narrowed down. Okay. Um, it's definitely, since I've written this talk, a lot has. Um, the what had seemed at the beginning of the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider, um, when I was, you know, uh, actively doing physics. Uh, helping getting that set up and searching for things, of course, high on our list was uh, dark matter particles. Right. And most of the theories then were motivated by uh, by supersymmetry. Uh, right. That was, yeah. And that's and the supersymmetry is uh, on its way out as well. Right. Uh, yeah. Like, like ultra high energy supersymmetry is is still a very possible thing, but uh, weak scale, super weak scale supersymmetry, the supersymmetry that uh, could have an influence on the weak force. Um, that is, uh, it's getting harder and harder to, uh, to believe that, you know, the, the ways of keeping those theories alive is are usually by hiding it somehow, like, uh, <laughs> You know, um, it wouldn't just produce very obvious particles at the LHC because they weren't, weren't discovered. Because you didn't observe them, right? Right. So the theories now are, are trying to, like, you know, explain why we didn't see them. But eventually you'll get to the point where it's like, okay, this paradigm just isn't working anymore. All the loopholes that we have to add in order to keep the theories alive are no longer, you know, they're breaking the original motivation for the theories. And then... It's wide open. There's a lot of, <laughs> uh, I don't know how to characterize it. Uh, not anything goes, um, you know, when, when you're sitting around, you know, just sort of throwing ideas at the wall at first, you know, anything goes, but then uh, they have all these, con you know, for a new theory, it's got this gauntlet of all these things it's got to do. This new theory has to, um, it would be a really big plus if it explained dark matter. Uh, it has to not violate any of the existing measurements, which are getting pretty tight. Right. Um, it has to not 
um, uh, uh, disagree with astronomical measurements. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, right. Uh, and that's how we first uh, started thinking about it is from these astronomical measurements. And if it's just, if it throws that out of the water, then like, what do you got? It's just can't be yeah. true. It's not really, a, yeah, not, not a viable theory. Right. So that's very interesting. So you, um, you working at, <clears throat> at where you, you know, Fermilab now and what, and you're paying attention to the, uh, you know, the, you know, progression of the discoveries, um, where, uh, is there, uh, where are they at now with dark matter? Is it any different than at the end of this talk that, that you gave years ago? Um, it's just a lot tighter constraints actually. Um, but okay. no big Eureka, right. um, discoveries. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's life. You know, we might actually, right get to the point where um where all the the experiments that we have you know we have planned now they might go through their whole thing and we'll find out all of the things that we knew we'd find out you know like we're going to find out the properties of the higgs boson more precisely um and all that's of all the, well and good right i mean yeah. oh that's it does very good you know yeah. that, that touches on a lot of other things we haven't even talked about mm -hmm. um, but we might come out of that all of that without knowing what dark matter is still interesting and, and i yeah I have in the back of my head, it's only, what if it's only gravitational? Then we couldn't do anything. Like, it, it's really hard to Because imagine. you can't observe the gravity, right? Do yeah. you think that's, um, I mean, we can't observe it, but you can't, like, you can't take it down. It's like, yeah. right? it's not like the other forces. Um, Take some planets, put them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that'll work. I mean, it, like... And with the with the quantum level of things, it's like even like I mean, you don't understand it at the quantum level. So how can you mm -hmm. really use that to explain anything if you don't fully understand it? You know, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people like you know, a lot of, some people just throw it out altogether, and and they think it's something else, and they don't know what it is. But you know, mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of that, and. Um, Gravity is the observed, measurable observance. It's not really like what we say is gravity is what we observe. And it's not like right. we can scoop it in a spoon and say, here you go. And this is gravity. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so dark matter must be, there. there must be something to plug the hole in that that calculations right mm -hmm. what if it's not i mean you went down this 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 long uh trail of discovery and ruling out stuff what if it's totally different what if it's not even near that spectrum not even a particle yeah what if it's not a particle right right that's within the the envelope <laughs> right it was this uh um, some 10 years ago, there was a, a theory called unparticles. <laughs> and, um, and they worked, you know, kind of like particles do. Um, they have mass, um, but they didn't come in discrete units of mass. So uh, it was something it was something a bit more, it was something using the same framework of quantum field theory that we use to explain how matter exists and tweaking it a little bit, changing it. 
so that it produces this different thing, which is kind of like matter, but not totally like matter. And those particles were an idea for a while. I don't think anything, uh, I don't think any experiments, but um, um, I don't know whether it was ruled out or not. Right. So um, do you think this dark matter is like a potential of something else that's turning into or de decomposing? Do you think it's like that? Uh, yeah, so matter, um, so it transitions from matter from one form to another. That happens all the time. Right. Um, and uh, e and there's even unproven expectations that ordinary matter itself decays due to um, unconfirmed but plausible uh, unification of the four forces at very high energies. And if they unify, then there will be a uh, ways to, to, you know, to uh, to switch between. Rearrange. Them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it's entirely possible for, uh, you know, say a proton, which has, um, uh, you know, the three quarks, uh, for one of the quarks to uh, to change flavor and then um, annihilate with the other ones. And so the proton, in this theory, would decay. And this is this is mainstream theory. Right. Um, and people went searching, actually back in the 70s, people went searching for proton decay, um, made these big vats of fluid searching for just one, just any one proton in the whole thing to to, uh, to decay. It was never observed. So the limits on, on proton decay are very high up. Um, but then, uh, then these uh, large vats of fluid started seeing neutrinos and, uh, <laughs> and they changed the direction of their research. Interesting. Um, so we still are in the we we're still at the point where matter does not decay it stays uh yeah we haven't observed uh ordinary matter decaying it just rearranges right? yeah um but yeah but it, it's it's possible and it, it's also possible that and i'm getting totally speculative that mm -hmm. uh, somehow uh dark matter is in on it that's part um, of that process yeah totally speculative i'm just throwing it out there Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't even clarified what exactly I mean by that, um, <laughs> but this is where you know this is where physics theories start in a in a right. you know in a lounge, people talking like this, and then yeah. narrowing on what exactly do you mean, and then when they get to what they mean is oh that would be ruled out already, and then so they tweak it, and then eventually yeah yeah that's how they that's how it forms <laughs> in the mind right that's right great. so yeah all that's uh, that all is wide open. And um, and it'll stay wide open until some kind of experiment. Right. Do you have a uh, a hunch as to what it might be? Your own idea. My own idea is is pessimistic. I think that it might be a gravity only particle. Right. Um, and that um, through uh, dark matter, which is, you know, it's a somewhat sensible kind of material, you know. Maybe it's a new particle, okay. Right. And dark energy, which I didn't talk about, but that um, the gravitational effect of dark energy is negative. It forces things apart. Whoa. Yeah. That can't be a material of in any <laughs> right. sense. It, it's the opposite of material. So yeah. Yeah. with the um, like the <clears throat> if you think about 
the reality with the hermetic principles or whatnot, there's the duality of every, you know, there is light and dark and there's mm -hmm. hot and cold and such. Maybe uh, that's, maybe there's coalesced matter and then there's broken apart matter, mm -hmm. you know, like the, um, the force of creation and the force of destruction. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what, what it is. And we're just, mm -hmm. that's interesting. Yeah, and all of these, um, all of these material possibilities, um, uh, each one of them, you know, can have different interpretations like that. You know, mm -hmm. like suppose that we, we, we did narrow it down on it and we found out that, oh, yeah, there's, there's coalesced matter and then there's spread out matter uh, and they have these, you know, physical properties. Then we could, we could talk about like interpretations of them like that. It's like, oh, yeah, there's this really kind of two kind of things out there. Right. Um, and, you know, we... Um, uh, this is this these kinds of interpretations are beyond uh, um, where science can measure. Beyond science, yeah. but scientists do them. So, of course. <laughs> you yeah. know, like uh, uh, you know, uh, what I you know, uh, some people have in mind. Um, you know, there's basically two types of thing. There's a uh, there's space time kind of, you know, the the background. And then there's particles in the foreground, the things that live on, you know, the stage and the things that live on the stage. Right. And in, you know, some of the um, uh, high energy unification. Um, uh, of all the forces, the high energy unification. Right. Yeah. It also kind of unifies forces and particles. Well, actually, in a sense, forces and particles are already unified. Um, uh, particles with, with, integer spin like zero one and two uh, are force particles and particles with uh, half integer spin like one half three halves five halves those are more more like matter particles uh, so there's already kind of a unification there some particles are kind of like forces but um hmm. but it uh it seems to go kind of you know in the in the out there theories it seems to go uh kind of further than that that uh space time you know the geometry you know, space-time is a kind of geometry. Right. And that fundamentally, if you really push field theory um, to its fundamentals, it seems like field theory is a kind of geometry. And then, you know, the, the whole of the universe is the space-time geometry and the particle geometry, which is uh, in the, uh, uh, the very unified theories, like, you know, string theory and such, um, they are interconvertible. You can change from one to the next. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Right. So there isn't really a strict separation between the That's stage right. and the players. Right. Um, well, you'd think that it would be, I mean, because it all would have to have come from the same thing, right? Whatever created both created with what material it has, right? Or what, uh, what material, yeah. you know, not material, but you know what I mean? Like right, it, right. it must have come from like, uh, if we, you know, we are, you know, we're matter from the earth or whatever. And then you look at a, a real stage is like built of trees that are also mm -hmm. from the earth. You know, it's from the same source, yeah. but it's totally different, of course. So there must mm -hmm. be uh, some sort of combination, like uh, um, related 
it might it must be the same like i don't know but it just seems logically to me in my mind it mm -hmm. seems like what created that space time also created uh the matter that we are you know right right yeah in in uh like string theory m theory the m stands for matrix there's just a matrix like a completely abstract thing a mathematical. Like, like a mathematical pattern that things follow right yeah and then and then you, you follow it into limits and you get uh, space-time like things and you get matter like things and two limits of this uh, uh, but fundamentally it's a matrix and it's totally speculative just right. to be clear right. <laughs> it's interesting because like if you if you listen to people that have had uh, out-of-body experience or near-death experience uh they describe this as like a computer program like we mm -hmm. it's described by many people as like you know this is uh it has it has a mathematical pattern and mm -hmm. structure and you know we enter it and then we are free from it again <laughs> uh it's yeah. interesting but i mean that's and science has even Science has proven that near-death experience is true, and uh, you know these is it not observations. Yes, these observations, and like they can prove the person was dead, and they can, uh, you know, and there's a lot of similar. That's another show, but I mean, it's mm -hmm. really interesting to understand, like that uh, this place that we're in, you know, mm -hmm. it's like we're here, but it's we're not. That's not us. It's it's really. Uh, wild ideas well, it's sounding to me like um something of the, the phrase it from bit made famous uh i think this was john wheeler maybe um uh his thing was that uh, uh what we're calling matter and energy and space time is all uh, information right that it's information at the bit uh, at, at the bottom level that you had it things it <laughs> from bits, uh, information. Right. Um, and that's, that's another kind of meta theory that is, um, you know, it's going beyond anything that could be measured, but it's like an interpretation that you give to the stuff, you know, right. Right. Um, and it's like, if, um, the, uh, like the matter that we see is the expression of that number matrix. Like it's mm -hmm. like the result of the cause that's, not visible like uh mm -hmm. interesting so um i don't know how much time you have but what just real if you can encapsulate it what is the dark energy that okay. most of that pie is that is that okay sure sure okay. the question is uh uh so here at the end, I'm talking about experiments that are now all old experiments because it was 10 years ago mm -hmm. so dark energy um, this word was coined, I would call this kind of an advertising word. Uh, dark energy resembles dark matter in that it is, it has dark in its name and it's not what I understood. Okay. And I'm serious about that. I was, it was, uh, I think it was Michael Peskin who, who said, he just started calling it dark energy. It really caught on, uh, that, um, so it's something completely different, unrelated. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's just occulted. We don't see it and we don't understand it. That's why it's dark. Right. Yeah, um, the yeah. What it's describing is um, it can be applied to anything that addresses the fact that the the expansion of the universe is accelerating. 
which was a discovery around the year 2000, 2001. Again, I was now I was in grad school when that came out, and uh, and I was in cosmology class, and the guy was like, "Oh, let's not be so hasty about this." Well, no, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, expansion of the universe is is accelerating. The question is, uh, can this be a short story? <laughs> um, maybe. Whatever you have time for. It's I'm yeah. just trying to like get a little because we talked about it, and then we're like, oh yeah that's yeah. happening but then, and then we kept going on the other thing so okay i think i could describe space-time curvature in three steps um this has come from you know a, a, a few times trying to <laughs> uh actually this is how i came to understand it uh i learned it mathematically uh as um curvature uh manifolds and I wasn't happy with my understanding of it until I you know started making some models and started this by the way is the interpretation laid on top of the mathematics right <laughs> um, but let's let's get there thanks so um, let's start by talking about unusual connections between space-time points so um, so the normal connections between points you know, Space-time is, is continuous, and we're going to ignore that fact. We're going to pretend it's kind of discrete. We're going to pretend that you have a point, and it's this box here, and it has four neighboring boxes. That's, no, that's the normal way that, uh, that uh, a, like, a two-dimensional space is connected up. Right. Uh, so that would be, like, um, this unnamed uh, uh, video game hero <laughs> uh, living in this dungeon that has a south, a north, a west, and an east side to it. And the idea is that in the next room of this dungeon, if he goes out the north, he'll come to some other room, you know, the north room. Mm -hmm. But you could take this two-dimensional thing, because he's a two-dimensional video game character, and tie it up so that the east door is connected to the west door. And I just did that because this is felt and I can sew, right? <laughs> I just sewed it together. Right. And then this guy goes out the west door, comes in the east door, and says, well, I'm in the same room. How did that happen? And that would be surprising, you know, like this right. other unnamed video game here. Um, uh, it's not what yeah, normal physics happens, but right. you can at least imagine. It's observably it. not happening that way. Right, right. right. We can ima it's imaginable. It's mathematics. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everything's imaginable with mathematics if you apply it correctly. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the idea here is that uh, this point, which is normally connected to, you know, four neighboring points, you make the connection from one of these boxes all the way around to this one here. Mm -hmm. What we're just saying is that we're arbitrarily connecting points in this space-time. Mm -hmm. You know, we forget the notion that it has to be normal, and just say, well, what if, what you know, and that suppose it is connected in some weird way. Um, so that would be, you know, for making these um, these portal type, type things. Um, uh, now to move from from just weird connections to actual curvature. Step two is suppose that we rewire these in some kind of a re repeating pattern. So I took this uh, this dungeon room, which is a little bit curved. It just you know curved in the normal sense. It, the shape of it is uh, right, so that you can put these other things in the picture. Yeah, and I said, instead of there being north, there's two directions, Ronth and Ornth. And 
Ronth and Ornth are as different from each other as West is from South. You know, we're just okay. Is that so? Like uh, one is space and one is time. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> we're going to get to that in a little bit. Okay. <laughs> right now we're just doing space space curvature. Okay. So here, um, the the Ronth door comes out in the South door. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, maybe you can go up this Ronth and come out this South. And then you go the East door to the West, East to West, East to West, and then back down again. And you will notice that the, uh, that the dungeons are, the dungeon rooms are um, in this weird pattern. Uh, if you do a, a round trip circuit through enough of them, you know, if you go around here, you find that you only need to, that you, you go Ronth, East, South, and you're back where you started. Mm -hmm. Or you could go Ronth, 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 just three times. And then East, east a bunch. East, 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 yeah, a whole lot of times. And then South, 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 and we're back. So the fact that it, it only you only needed to do one East when you went out one room, but you had to do a whole lot of Easts when you went out this far right, uh, is what's telling you. And actually, as the way that I'm tying them together, this is getting exponentially bigger and bigger. Right. If you continue this, oh, okay, well, I, I sewed it. Okay. And if you try to do that, and all of these panels, these panels are the same size and shape. So it turns into a funnel, right? Yeah, right. It can't lay flat because laying flat would be no curvature. Right. Interesting. So that's why it has to have curvature. Yeah. Okay. And the funnel, <laughs> great, great image right there. So like the funnel is like uh, the cone of uh, where like the, the gravity of a planet bends the space time into a funnel. Right? Yeah. You're getting ahead of, you're getting ahead of us. I'm we're sorry. Still only, yeah. We're still only talking about space, space curvature. Right, uh, this right. is kind of what a, what a, what a classroom is like. It's like, are we going to get to the, the, the first step? No. <laughs> Sorry, man. Hey, this is yeah. fun. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Right. So you can continue this kind of pattern and you can make it space filling, um, but it, it will not lie flat. Right. Um, okay. Now the third part, here's where we get to uh, include time in the, in the space time. Now let's forget curvature for that. We've, we've just talked about what curvature is. Right. Now we're going to talk about what space time is. And you probably already have a good notion of space-time. That um, you know we've got three dimensions in space. Um, you know, up, left, down, right, left, right, forward, backward, right. Um, you can just add a fourth one. This is orth this is uh, perpendicular to those other three. Um, you can't imagine it spatially because our human brains were made to imagine three-dimensional space. You know, because that's what right. we're living in, and uh, and we experience time in a in a very different way than we experience space. But mathematically, um, yeah, it's just a fourth dimension to uh, right. to the first three. You right. could take like a film strip. So there has to be that in order to put the matter into place, because if if everything is changing, then you need to have different frames uh, to show to 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 have that created change. Like if otherwise it would just, there would be no big bang <laughs> as, you know, there, it would just be a clump of matter and nothing would change. Uh, you have to have time. 
Right, right. Yeah, this is kind of like, this is really just, and, and actually at this point, this is just a, a change in the way we're thinking about it. It's not actually changing any anything that's out there in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're changing from thinking about time as time, the, the way that human brains think of time as a as a progression. And instead of instead of just take, taking it and, and making a static model, an unchanging model where there isn't time, and making what had been time into a fourth dimension of that. So you could have a, you know, you could watch a planet go around a star with a little moon going around the planet. Mm -hmm. You could make a film of them. And this is putting each of the frames into a different place along the film. Right. Or you could stack the images in the film, just stack them up. Right. And then what you've got is the sun is this band. Mm -hmm. This extends in, um, straight in time. And then the, the planet is this spiral that's going around it. And the moon is a spiral that goes around the spiral. That's right. And and you're looking at this thing, and now you look at this thing as a static model. Static because you've taken what had been the time to time, and right. make it not time. You make it encapsulated it all into this one yeah. model, right. right? And this is the mental. That's just the mental trick. Right. Just changing the way we're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now here's where we get the space-time curvatures. You take the the concept of uh, curvature how spaces can be curved and you apply that to space time where space time is kind of, is just a space. Um, and uh, so we make some non-flat, you know, um, arena that has uh, one dimension of space and one dimension of time. So it's two dimensional mm -hmm. in this thing I sewed together. And some other unnamed video game character uh, is uh, moves through this. He's he's moving because his because you know you kind of imagine a continuum of these guys sort of you know you know traveling along their along their time span. Right? Yeah, like a worm in in time. <laughs> but I just you know drew pictures. Um, uh, this guy jumping is changing the his height position right. as a function of time. And then the interesting thing about this curved space-time is that this path that he's taking is kind of a straight path through space-time. You know, I didn't right. sew perfectly, but, uh, but you yeah. know, you can imagine that, you know, that this is the, you know, the shortest distance from here to there is through here. Right. Whereas just standing and not jumping would be to go all the way around here because mm -hmm. of the curvature. I see. And this is how gravity is connected to space-time curvature. The uh, Einstein's idea, uh, and this is why he's, you know, this is why he's famous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not how he first got famous, but this is why he endures. You know, right. his, his idea was uh, that uh, maybe gravity is not a, a a force that pulls and changes things. Maybe that just you know um, the static space time that is curved, and the shortest distance between two points is one that falls you know so it has uh 
um, less of a distance to travel, so it goes faster. Right. Yeah, that, we can yeah, imagine that's... it like a way something falls. Right. Um, yeah, I wanted to have a picture of a globe with a string on it, but I don't have that picture in this talk. Okay. <laughs> but you know, if you, if you have a globe and you want to know it's the distance between, um, you know, New York and um, Sydney, Australia, right. um, you know, you, you put a string on the globe and you pull it tight and the, sh and the shortest yeah. distance, you know, right. some angles is curved, you know, right. look at it from a certain point of view, it's not. And it, it, what it is, is all the way along, it's the, the, the shortest way to get from from New York to Sydney without going through the earth. Right. You know, if you're confined to the two dimensional surface of the earth, that's a curved surface. And so right. straight lines um, have these uh, surprising properties. If it's, if the space is not curved, it's not Euclidean. Euclid's fifth postulate doesn't hold, which is the one about parallel lines, not meeting. Okay. No if you have a globe, they, they do meet. Right. Um, if you, you know, the ground is following one line and he's following a different line. Um, is that a good one? It, it, that kind of works, but maybe it's kind of hard to see. But um, parallel lines in these curved spaces, they, by parallel meaning at one point in their trajectory, they, you know, the line between them is uh, perpendicular to both. Right. And if you follow that, you know, they could meet up again on every, you know, straight lines i mean the the geodesics on a sphere always cross at two points right right um, because it's not flat and going on forever right it's right. Yeah. okay so here's here's a curvature that um um uh from his perspective uh it seems like he's following some parabolic path ab above the earth you know he jumps and he follows parabola that comes back down and intersects with the ground again. Mm -hmm. But in the in the curved space-time view, he's actually taking a straight trajectory. Okay. All right. Well, so he's pushing, he's using the energy to push off the ground. And that combined with uh with like that is what's getting him straight through instead of just standing there and taking the time right so the, right. the energy that he's applying is what's um bringing him up in height and then down again into the other time right right the the point of view in this is that the is that the normal the normal and easiest to understand situation is when objects are in free fall like him every time that he's the whole time he's not touching the ground the part that is going to require physics to, you know, material physics to explain is when you're standing on the ground, you know, in this point of view, that's the unusual situation. That's a situation which is kind of like the ground is rushing up at you, mm -hmm. keeping you from your normal free fall trajectory. I see. Um, so that's just a potential energy that's always happening, right? That's a way of describing the potential energy. Yeah. But it's yeah. being held up by the floor. Right, right. Yeah, a floor, you know, just, just standing on the floor is the weird situation. It's a situation <laughs> that requires explanation. 
Sometimes I feel that way. <laughs> falling, that's normal. Yeah. Right, right. When you're falling, nothing is happening to you. That's just, yeah, right. That's the point of view. I see. So, um, all right. So time uh, allows for the uh, the change. At, I guess I'm kind of kind of in the weeds here with my words, man. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's hard for this because our words come. You know, our language was developed on our psychology, and our psychology was developed based on uh, living on, uh, on this world. planet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is very great. This is interesting. So, okay. So this is how time fits with space and gravity and gravity. Right. Yeah. So gravity, yeah. is, gravity yeah. is the energy that is potential and latent within this matrix of space time. Right. Um, I would say that what's happening in, in this picture is that gravity is in what this picture does is it makes gravity into nothing special. The okay. special thing is the floor rushing up at you. Right. So yeah. the time, uh, the time is the oddball. Uh, the... So in order for time to be moving, uh, is that like, do we have a, a similar amount of gravity? Is that how time can be? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that we experience time as time. You know, it, our, our brains um, right. see time in a very different way. Right. Uh, it comes from the fact that the, um, that the curvature is very small. Uh, and um, so like one unit of, so one foot, the distance of one foot uh, as a time unit, that is one nanosecond. We experience a distance of one foot very readily. It's, it's not the human scale. One nanosecond is way below the human scale. You know, humans can perceive milliseconds, right? You know, maybe hundreds of milliseconds, but not nanoseconds. Right. Uh, the fact that that's the, the, uh, you know, the, um, if you were to put everything into the same units, uh, that the difference is that extreme. That's what takes time uh, beyond our... out of the other two, right? So it only makes sense that we evolved brains that experience them differently. Right, right. But it is still a sewn together matrix, right? It is mm -hmm. uh, connected. If there was no time then there would be no gravity yeah uh, yeah i see yeah right okay. yep so and that's what coalesces the universe like time uh yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> yes okay yes um space time curvature and the reason i give that so that introduction to space time um curvature is because Everything there is to say about dark energy, um, all the observations uh, are about space-time curvature. So we had to um, uh, get to this uh, Einsteinian perspective about what space-time is and how it can be curved. 
Uh, the fact that um, that's the fact that space-time explains gravity, at least you know macroscopic gravity, mm -hmm. uh, was wonderful. But it's actually not just not related to this discussion. Okay. So here we just have the fact that space and time can be curved. Okay. Um, and when we observe and, and we observe on, on small scales or on planets that it is curved in such a way as to give us gravity. Uh, on very large scales, the whole universe, uh, space-time is, is also curved. Um, the, uh, um, it has to be, I think, right? It does. Otherwise, well, actually, with with an Einstein with Einstein's picture of what gravity is, if uh, if if space were not expanding with respect to time, if later times didn't have more space than earlier times, then um, everything would self gravitate and and collapse, and, and then it would be curved again. <laughs> so oh, right, um, it would form a, a ball. It would yeah yeah, right. yeah it would all. So, um, so if it starts off static, it's gonna, if it starts off not moving, it's gonna attract each other and collapse. Right, right. Um, and uh, what we observed actually is that at very early times it was expanding apart uh, and that's going to keep it from coming back together, but that's just the observation. Um, so this is a picture of um, one dimension of space and, and time. And each of these white spots here are stars mm -hmm. is where the star started. Here's when the star was born, you know, when the um, gas and dust came together and then it started shining. And then each star is a line in time. Right. A forward line. Right. Uh, and if we look back far enough, uh, we see that there was a time when all of space was opaque. Uh, mm -hmm. It was all glowing because it was very hot. Uh, and uh, before that, then now we have to project with models. Um, uh, there was a time when it was even hotter. And this is the, in, and if, if this didn't have a bee stinger at the end of it, if this were just round, that would be the so-called Big Bang beginning of the universe. Right. There's good reason to believe that there was some kind of a bee stinger, but it's still hypothetical. Right. That um, at very early times, the, the rate of, of change changed. Uh, that there was some um, expansion out. But, yeah, right. it's called inflation, and it it solves some theoretical problems, but it is itself still theoretical. Right. And then whether this bee stinger ever ends on an actual point is is an open question. You know, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. And that's, that's why, uh, yeah, that's why you know, I, I want to make sure that you know when when we're talking about Big Bang, we don't mean that it all started at some time. Right. You know? Big Bang just describes this. This the expansion out. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but then, anyway, you know, if you're talking about any, you know, space expanding, so that at later times there's more space. You know, these lines out here are longer than these lines in here. Um, that so is. The, so the universe has to be expanding because time is happening, right? You said earlier it's true mm -hmm. the universe is expanding and. Uh, it has to be, right? Yeah, yeah. Gravity wouldn't let it stay still. It would right. have to expand or contract. Right. It happens to be that it's expanding so fast that it doesn't look like it's ever going to contract. Right. right. 
Um, so this is, you know, a picture of the space-time curvature of the whole universe. And um, uh, we can measure this by looking at light, you know, seeing how things evolve with time. Yeah, because the further away is the older. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So here I'm projecting this as though it were flat by stretching it mm -hmm. and projecting it here. Uh, and these are the same, you know, so like these light cones, you know, if you have some time now and this is the future mm -hmm. where, you know, outward and this is the past, you can look at an old star and an older star and you can measure how far away from each other they are. Uh, and eventually these all these lines all go down to at least the bee stinger. Interesting. Um, now, from these old star, you know, from the old star and older stars, or some star that's kind of far away and some other star that's even farther away, um, you see that if you project out where the star is going to go, the stars are straight lines. Say that the star is not moving, so it's going to follow a timeline. Um, from our perspective, this timeline looks like it's going away from us. And this looks like it's going away from us even faster. Right. So and that that shows the curvature because... Yeah. Uh, right. Yes, exactly. It shows the curvature. It's just geometry. Right. Yes. Yeah. So just from this, uh, from the uh, fact that ju just from space expanding, you can predict that faraway stars are going to look like they're going away from us. And even farther away stars are going to look like they're going away from us faster. Right. And that's why it's uh, the rate is accelerating because it looks like it's going faster. Right? Oh, even actually in this picture, it's uh, in this picture. Okay. It can't be accelerating because the time is a regular scale. Okay. But like in, in our observations, uh, it looks like they're going away faster because right. it's expanding. Right. 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 Yeah. That's, that's where you're, uh, you, that's, that's, well, the recent discovery, the, the year 2000. Interesting. The first discovery that uh, distant things are receding and even more distant things are receding faster uh, was uh, Hubble in the 30s. Okay. Um, I'm going to have any, uh, I kind of, I kind of breezed through this, this whole thing. That's all right. Yeah. Hubble in the thirties, uh, saw that, that, you know, this expansion was different. And then they thought about that for a long time. And that's when, where the big bang theory came out. You know, I described this thing by first describing the geometry and then what observations would come from it. Right. It went the other way around. They found the observations and this is the, the picture that explains it. Um, but yeah, in this picture, uh, if you do the observations uh, pre precisely, and here to do it precisely, you, you need to know how fast they're, they seem to be going away from you. That's easy to measure. And you have to know how far away they are. That's hard. Mm. You know, back beginning of this, uh, uh, of these slides, determining how far away a star is, that's the hard part. Right. There was a breakthrough uh, in late 90s, early 2000. Um, uh, a particular type of star goes supernova just barely. You know, 
uh, that it's the type 1A supernovae. Um, they are feeding, slowly draining, you know, slowly pulling material off of some companion star until they go right above threshold. And when they get to threshold, they explode. I see. Because the energy gathers. Right. Yeah. And it's because it's just a, you know, it's not a, um, you know, an old star that just collapses and then explodes at what at any energy. A type 1A supernova gets just enough matter that it explodes as soon as it crosses the threshold. And because it's as soon as it crosses the threshold, we know from computer simulations and models and you know, calculations how much energy that has. So type 1A supernovae are, with caveats, uh, all equally bright. Interesting. So that way you can have a, uh, a comparison of brightness to other things that you're measuring. So it gives you like a stamped, put, yeah. a, put a tack in that one. And that's like, now exactly. you can start measuring from that. Right. I see. As soon as you see the apparent brightness, you know how bright it should be. Uh, you know how far away it would have to be to be that bright. You said, you know, attack. That's that's exactly the, the, the mental image. It, it, it pins it in place. Right. Uh, they're in fact called standard candles. Interesting. And, you know, a, ca a candle far away and you know exactly how bright it is. Right. Right. So now you can measure. Now, now we have a point of measurement. Mm -hmm. Right. And now that we have that point of measurement, which is pretty recent, um, we can do these uh, uh, distance versus recession speed. Uh, we can do them very accurately. And this is a very early plot. This is actually the, the 90s data, and it's gotten a lot more precise than this. Um, but you get enough supernova 1A uh, observations on this curve, and you can tell the slight dif difference between uh, one kind of space-time curvature and a, and a different space-time curvature. I just mean different, like being a little bit larger or a little bit smaller. Okay. Uh, and so they're different curves. So you see all these different dotted lines are different fits to these data. And, and I, I will say the data have gotten better since then. Um, so you can pick out one of those curves, you know, just exactly the, the shape through time that space is expanding. Wow. Um, so you can extrapolate that into how fast it's expanding. Yes. Yeah. So now that we have a shape, right. plot the shape, and it is a surprising shape. It's not just that parabolic thing with a possible bee stinger I had at the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's a thing that opens up. Uh, exponentially. Interesting. Uh, wow. The yeah, it, it's it's getting faster and faster. Huh. Uh, and that's the surprise because if we thought there was only normal matter in the universe, maybe yeah, sure, there was a big explosion at the beginning that pushes everything away. But then, if everything that's being pushed that that is now free flying. Um, is normal matter that that gravitates, normal matter that that attracts each other. That flying apart is going to slow down and slow down because they're all right. attracting each other. The big crunch or whatever. Right? Well, if if it's enough, yeah, 
that there might be enough um, initial velocity to not big crunch. Right. Um, and so actually that's what they were trying to determine. They're trying to determine, is there enough initial velocity to counterbalance the fact that all this matter is going to, you know, attract each other. And then the answer was D, none of the above. Uh, uh, the expansion is accelerating. It's they, they're going apart from each other faster and faster, right. not slower. So, so whatever the initial force was, that is growing exponentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then we sit back and say, wow, <laughs> what would that be? Uh, this is way more, you know, like this is an observation. This is a, this is a, this is a solid observation, just like the dark matter observations. Mm -hmm. But whereas uh, the theories for dark matter are relatively normal, it's like, oh, okay, we know about, you know, there's a dozen particles in the standard model. What if there's another one? You know, that's, that's kind of normal. This, this is, this is bonkers. Right. Um, but that has to be the nature of time so that it doesn't ever crunch, right? Well, you could have, okay, so these are, these, these lines here, this is the same um, plot as before. This is, uh, zero is now. These are billions of years ago. These are billions of years in the future. And this is the size of a unit of space versus time. So the fact oh, that this so the units of space are getting bigger. Yeah, yeah, right. You have a, yeah, that's the space-time curvature is like you have Dungeon Man in a standard-sized dungeon, um, and uh, you know the, uh, and uh, remember if you go Ronth a whole, you know, yeah, you know, four steps Ronth, then there's a whole lot of dungeons in between. Yeah. Um, right. So uh, that yeah. dungeon is expanding, like yeah. each. Like each place where you measure is expanding out. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting more real estate. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Um, but is there more matter to fill that real estate? Is, mm, is no. dark matter <laughs> coalescing into real matter? There's no, yeah. No, it seems that the amount of mass is staying the same, although I'm sure some theorist has a theory in which right. the amount of mass is changing. Um, that's, that's interesting. Like the same amount of mass getting further away from everything. Like, uh, right. Right. In fact, that's the crux. That's yeah. yeah. Like the idea that, you know, just this, this amount of mass that we have will slow down the expansion. You know, there, there's, it got a big kick at the beginning, but then it's going to attract each other and it'll, it'll slow down, but maybe it'll slow down and never come back together. That was a possibility. Mm -hmm. But and then, you know, if uh, if there's enough matter, the, the thinking went in the 90s, uh, if there's enough matter, then not only will it slow down, but it'll stop and come back together and it'll collapse. Well, but that's if you think of gravity connected to the matter. Yes. If gravity is connected to the time, then it's a fixed. Yeah. Like the matter is uh, just being affected by that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that is... Uh, that is almost exactly the 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 the, uh, the cosmological constant explanation of the uh, uh, dark energy. Um, so I'll, I wonder if I have a slide on. I don't know, but uh, but okay. So the basic observation is that not only is it not like going to collapse, but it's not even slowing down. It's it's getting faster and faster. Uh, yeah. One. Do I have a? 
I guess we got. I guess here we are in, in our flowchart for this one. Mm-hmm. Universe is expanding too fast. What is it? Is it something wrong with gravity? Or there's some new substance with a gravitational push instead of pull? And neither of these boxes have a, have an X through them. Mm-hmm. What you described of uh, it um, it being connected to the time. time. Yes. Uh, that would uh, make there, sense. Okay, yes, yes. Uh, the Einstein equation, which is the equation that relates how much mass there is to how much space-time curvature there is. There are two unknown constants. Well, there, there, there are two constants in that that could be set by, by observations. One of those two constants uh, is, can be set by just measuring the strength of gravity. And so that, that constant was set just by itself. There's another constant that was always kind of an oddball, and Einstein just assumed it was zero. Right, because uh, that's what a mathematician does until he can <laughs> figure out what it is, right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the really, you know, um, if before 2000, the really responsible thing to do would be to say, okay, yeah, the cosmological constant is in the equation, so in principle, it could be not zero, but uh, why would it be positive? Why would it be negative? You know, we don't have any reason for, for constraining it. Mm-hmm. With this observation uh, that the universe is expanding, just saying that that constant, that uh, uh, cosmological constant, has an incredibly small but positive value, that would do it. Right. And so, yes. Absolutely. Right. But then why, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, numbers so small in and, order to, yeah. uh, in order to have the, the universe work the way it does, it has to have like a fixed matrix of the two, you know, where they relate mm-hmm. and the gravity is, uh, if you think of gravity related to time, that's why it's happening then it makes sense because everybody's thinking about like how gravity affects an object, you know, a mass or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking of it in that sense. But if the, the gravity is part of the matrix uh, of time, like we're not really discreet. Like I said before, we're not scooping up a spoonful of gravity. Uh, yeah. It's it's just an observation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. But there's those two uh, possibilities that are open. Um, the uh, the one that there's something wrong with gravity. Wrong, I should put in, in quotes, because it's part of Einstein's original equation. You know, there's a constant there. It was sitting there, you know, decades of people were looking at that, shaking their heads, saying, yeah, it's zero. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, if you make it any reasonably large value, um, the universe would fly apart so fast that, you know, that's, that's ruled out. Um, it's actually kind of like neutrino mass. Uh, you know, people assume that the neutrinos had zero mass because um, you measure it and you measure it and you measure it, you don't see anything. And then after a point you say, well, if it had mass, it would be so super duper small, it'd be way smaller than all the other particles. And why would that be? Then it turns out it is. <laughs> right, right. And you can't be making those crazy assumptions because like, yeah. that's what we're used to thinking. And if we want to expand our thoughts into new dimensions or to find new discoveries mm-hmm. then we're going to have to look in different ways. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So this is, I mean, there's, there's tons of these, 
things like neutrino mass is one of them, and this cosmological constant is another that uh, surprised people. Um, uh, that um, uh, it's not zero, and it's not like anywhere re anywhere close to as big as the as the other numbers you're comparing it to. It's mm -hmm. so much. In fact, the Higgs mass is way smaller. Uh, like 15 orders of magnitude, something crazy, you know, trillions of times smaller than um, than it ought to be. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. if you were to say that, you know, it, it'd be, you know, about the same as these other things that, it, that it's like. Um, oh, and this is, that is what makes cutting edge science. Right, right. So, yeah. We have to expand our, our understanding beyond uh, Newton's way into, you know, yeah. the quantum mechanics is uh, like, that's another whole realm. It's another way. And do you think that maybe that uh, the way that, that time and gravity uh, interact would explain some of the weirdness of quantum uh, mechanics? Uh, there's certainly been people looking at that. There's the, the one weird thing and the, the one weird thing the most weird thing, uh, the one kind of irreconcilably weird thing about quantum mechanics is it's um, the way that wave functions seem to collapse. And so, yes, people have tried, yeah, search right. gravity-mediated quantum collapse. There are attempts to connect these things. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. yes that's this great is <laughs> thank you jim so so dark energy is the expansion right is that what yeah. it is dark that... energy is a catch-all term and it's kind of a brand catch-all term it's, right it's a, and it's to um, explain that that yeah. infinite expansion of time yes yeah the accelerating yes. expansion interesting and that fills up most of the pie chart. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But, man, th uh, thank you so much for giving your time. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I'm sure you like, thank you so much for the two hours that you spent here. Thanks, and, fun. Uh, awesome. Well, I love you, Jim. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> awesome. Love doing this. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And I'm glad that the listeners have this chance to listen. And mm -hmm. uh, thank you all for uh, joining us again. And uh, you can find more information from Jim at coffeeshopphysics.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you again, Jim, for joining us. Uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us as well. And we will see you next time on Wake the Dead. <laughs>